Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me, as always, is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Today, we're going to spend all of our time focusing on the kind of major AT&T Time Warner legal battle with the DOJ. I'll just start with an upfront disclosure that we are long Time Warner and short some AT&T. So we'll mention that again at the end of the podcast, but that's out the way. So Chris, some background. On Monday, the DOJ filed a complaint to block the proposed AT&T Time Warner mega merger. If we go back a month or two ago, everyone in the business world really expected that the DOJ was going to give this their blessing. In September or October, I think AT&T executives thought they actually had a deal with the DOJ to get this done. So the kind of a big about face, and it appears that we're going to head to court. And most of the business community is pretty shocked. Probably the person who's most shocked is AT&T. They vowed to fight this in court. They came out with a website on kind of the deal and the battle that I'm going to describe personally as just absolutely savage. It included a video interview of the new antitrust head. It was an interview from a year ago where he said, hey, this isn't an antitrust issue. Now, he wasn't in office then, but they're obviously really pointing to that one. The CEO has said that this suit defies logic and that he doesn't even agree with the most basic of facts with the DOJ. And uh, the website includes one of my favorite quotes of all time, a antitrust expert who's anonymously quoted in the Financial Times who says, for a Republican administration to bring something like this would be incredible. The Obama folks, they would sue a ham sandwich and even they wouldn't take this case. So Chris, it's a deal that we we have spent a lot of time studying, a lot of time looking at. So I kind of want to discuss it, go over the ramifications for the rest of the media and business world, and go through some of the basics of the case. So let me turn it over to you. You know, why is the government suing? Why is the suit so novel? And where do we go from here? Well, at this point, all we have is a very short complaint. And I really like to go to the documents and start with what they are actually saying. I believe analysis should be the analysis of primary source data. But the big caveat to that is that when you have this initial filing, it is necessary to stop a merger before the end of a timing agreement. So the counterfactual, had they not done this without an extension of the timing agreement, the deal could have been consummated. So they needed to get their foot in the door, mm-hmm. although a door that was closing uh, very slowly took over a year. And so they could have something better later, at least it's possible. If you look at what they actually said, I would describe it as pre-economics and pre-internet in terms of uh, this is a document that would make sense in the kind of Nixon era or before, but it bore no resemblance to what we've seen from the kind of University of Chicago free market perspective that has been fairly prominent within the Republican Party. So let's just let's just pull back a, a little bit. So I agree. And it's interesting you said the Nixon era, because I think the Nixon era is something that will come up here. Mm-hmm. But you know, what the document really says is it says, hey, we need to stop AT&T Time Warner. Time Warner is this big content company. You know, They own the Turner Network of Channels, CNN, TBS, TNT, a couple others. They own HBO, and they own the Warner Brothers Production Studios. AT&T is this big distributor of content. They own UVerse and DirecTV. And it's saying a distributor taking over content, this is too much power in the hands of too few is something that the politicians have said. But they've said the distributor is going to get mammoth power. They can raise the content prices on all the other distributors in order to bring people into their system. That's kind of what the complaint is alleging. And I think you're right. 
10 years ago, maybe that makes sense, but it does seem to be kind of missing out. Now there's Netflix. The whole cable TV bundle is under pressure. So I don't know if you want to talk about that or talk about the horizontal versus vertical things. I just want to slow down for one second. You mentioned this is similar to something a politician would say. The complaint itself is similar to something a politician would say. If you were a professor and handed this by a student, your first reaction would be, please indicate source attribution and how about some footnotes? I I would describe it as winging it. The specifics to winging it, their complaint here, it's a vertical deal. And I would say Turner is must have. Their, Their whole case relies on the idea that the Turner networks that that, that that the Time Warner content is must have. If you can pull that linchpin out, there's no case. And they support their case in a way that is almost completely qualitative. I'd say it's based on business rhetoric. It's not based on economics. If you try to, you, it takes a little sleuthing, a little detective work to track down their source material. As it turns out, they pull together quotes that in some cases were just a couple words that they kind of put together from largely DirecTV, not AT&T executives complaining about Comcast, not advocating that Comcast's acquisition of NBC gets blocked, not saying that, but simply business rhetoric against a big competitor that the DOJ stitches together to look like, uh, as, as antitrust people say, that it is a hot document. Yep. No, I, I think that's exactly right. And pulling back a little further, you know, I think one of the big theory here for since this deal has been announced, AT&T has been hammering home, listen, This is a vertical deal. The last time a vertical deal was tried was under the Carter administration, and the DOJ lost that suit. The last time a vertical deal was tried and blocked was under the Nixon administration. So AT&T has been saying... Vertical deal, vertical deal, vertical deal. There is no no recent precedent for blocking a vertical deal. So I want to turn it over to you. You know, why don't you describe a vertical deal versus a horizontal deal, just to give a little bit more background and why vertical deals are generally allowed to go through. A horizontal deal is a merger of two competitors in the same relevant market. So that is typically accompanied by HHI data. It's the data that shows market concentration. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the uh, salient information has to do with their ability to raise prices. Now, there's some terms of art here, but think about it in terms of a durable impact. So it has to be durationally significant. It has to be over a number of years because clearly anybody can literally raise their prices. But the question is, is it sustainable and is it profit maximizing? So a great example of this would be something like Staples and Office Depot last year got sued and blocked. I believe that was the FTC, not the DOJ. But that was that was two competitors trying to merge. And they looked at it and said, too much power. These guys could raise office supply prices. We can't let that happen. That's a that's a horizontal deal. Why don't you describe a vertical deal and why these generally aren't blocked? Sure. A vertical deal involves firms where instead of having a competitor-competitor relationship, it is more typically a supplier-vendor or from uh, the beginning to end of the industrial structure that one product or service serves the next company so that they are connected, but that they don't compete. That's what you have here. And the big change, decades-old now change, applying economics 
to public policy here is that the theory of the firm is, is that it doesn't it involves the fact that it doesn't really matter because presumably today Time Warner is profit maximizing. AT&T is profit maximizing. They might not do it perfect, but that is certainly their intent and how they price things. And so whether something's done contractually or you buy somebody else, uh, I would say that it argues that in this case, it is a good thing from an antitrust perspective. It's not necessarily a good thing from a business uh, perspective. In terms of pricing power, AT&T gets an A on antitrust. As an investor, I prefer C's on antitrust. Time Warner's already profit maximizing. It's not impacted by the firm. But of course, when nobody's looking, I'd prefer if they did have a little pricing power. Okay, so great. I, I think that was a great description. So I think what what the DOJ's complaint really mess, rests on is, as you said, Turner content is must-have. Yes. And what they're saying is, Look, if AT&T buys Turner, what AT&T is going to do is they're going to go to all they're going to go to Comcast, they're going to go to all the cable companies and they're going to say, "Hey, right now you're paying $10 per month for all of Turner's content. Either you pay $20 per month or else we're going to black you out." And if it was Turner as a standalone, Turner couldn't black out with that firm of an offer because they've got no other profit streams. But what the government is arguing here is AT&T has national distribution, so they can jack up prices and if people don't take the those jacked up prices, they're going to hemorrhage subs who are going to demand, who are going to drop Comcast and go over to AT&T DirecTV because AT&T DirecTV will have Turner and Comcast doesn't. So, and that way AT&T can kind of maximize profits by either price hiking on the, the Turner side or gaining tons of subs on the AT&T side. That's the argument. I think there's precedent for how this could get dealt with, specifically Comcast and NBC, a deal that went through in 2011. I'll turn it over to you, behavioral over structural remedies and the precedents here. Sure. Well, I, I want to hold off for one moment yeah, ahead, on behavioral ahead, versus structural. And the reason is, is that reacts to the problem and right, we still right. haven't gotten to the problem. Yep, yep. Uh, in, in terms of the problem here, there's two holes, huge gaping holes in this complaint. Uh, the one is the lack of economics and the other is this very one-sided use of uh, hot docs. Uh, because they chose not to do any economics, let's do some. If you look at the content, uh, the tying case, the idea of foreclosure, it works much better when there's an actual monopoly on one side or the other. Uh, the fact here that you have competitors to Turner and you have competitors to AT&T means that you have a problem setting aside the law for a second, just as a business matter. If we were going to try, if nobody was listening, or maybe in the 1800s when these things were uh, much more easy to do, if you were going to try to foreclose, you have the problem that you can lose business on either side. That uh, and, and the question is not, can some guy in the DOJ say stuff, but would these companies profitably foreclose? And so just a word on the economics. Some of the most valuable content on TV, according to the DOJ, can be priced individually. And we're talking about quantitatively content that's only a couple dollars per month and the price is going down, not up. There's a great guide on Recode that shows how much this content is available online, where and how you find it with kind of online synthetic equivalents of this content. And it costs very small amounts of yep. money and it's very easy to find. And there is also a great natural experiment 
where this content was pulled for months off of Dish. And instead of kind of addressing this and finding a way to dismiss this, the fact is that Ergen saw this. He saw very little switching. So it was gone for months. And the question is, did everybody leave because you don't have Turner? Yep. The answer is, he said that it's was almost a non-event. So there's some more rhetoric for you on the other side about how valuable this Turner is. And the data showed that he was right. So once you look at the economics and when you find equivalent but antithetical quotes about its significance, it really does not look like something that can lead to foreclosure. Look, I 100% agree with you. I think the only the only question is a lot of the DOJ case does rest on, hey, Turner has exclusive contracts to NBA and March Madness. Yep. Is that must-have programming that if you – if you withhold that, people are going to flock away from you. But again, you know, you've got the Dish example. CBS right now, this morning, Dish blacked out CBS. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, CBS has NFL games. NFL is the prime sports property. The N- CBS has Sunday NFL games. Dish is blacking them out right now. Mm-hmm. We'll see how we'll see what the data says there. But you know, it is interesting that these distributors are getting much bolder in terms of blacking out these. CBS is a legacy broadcaster. Turner is a you know, just a general cable network, but they are getting much bolder, which to me speaks poorly to the argument. But anyway, can I just react to that? Which is to say that part of my concern here is that they have this great. Wonderful data. AT&T certainly has not seen it. I have not seen it. People who have spoken directly with the senior people at the AT&T have, management has not seen it, but maybe it exists. One thing, though, is even though it's a very thin, uh, figuratively and literally, a 23-page document, they don't point to having some great case that they're just keeping secret for now. They also point to a lot of things that are incredibly cavalier. For example, talking about just this bigness of these companies in terms of market cap, a completely uh, irrelevant uh, point from the serious antitrust issues, and talking about national shares of local markets. Again, it's just kind of throwing shade. It, it, you know, if you, uh, Over drinks at night, you could mention these things, but weird for serious people to talk about them. And then and just making assertions that are not backed up by any evidence, let alone proof, saying that Turner has market power. That, that's that, Those words mean things in an antitrust context? Can they raise prices? Are they restricting output? Are they doing that today? Because they kind of try to sneak in the conclusion uh, without any evidence. So it's not what I would do if I was on the way to providing evidence or proving things. So let me throw a couple of other things. So the case the case came out Monday night, and you've actually seen Time Warner stock go up since the case came mm-hmm. out, because I think people were, think, were worried about exactly what you're saying. People were worried the government was going to have this great case filled with tons of like hot docky type quotes that said, hey, we're going to buy Turner and we're going to raise prices by 50% and there's not a thing anyone can do. And the case didn't really have that. That's not to say it's not coming, but it, it wasn't in there. I want to dive for a second into, you mentioned a couple different things. A lot of the case seems to rest on, this is big buying big. It's too big. And it, one of the things it even says in there, I believe, is Time Warner is a $90 billion company. And when Comcast bought NBC, that was only $30 billion. So this is orders of magnitude bigger. There's a lot of flaws with that. But just from an antitrust perspective, you know, just suing something because it's big is not a legal case because how big is too big? Is it a billion, 50 billion, 100 billion, 200 billion? So let's put that aside. I want to turn to Comcast NBC because that deal was allowed to go through. I think a lot of people have said, 
NBC is a broadcaster that is, by orders of magnitude, more important than Turner, which is just a uh, kind of general cable network. That deal went through with, with just behavioral remedies. So I want to turn it over to you. Can you explain what behavioral versus structural remedies are? The government's looking for structural remedies in this case. And can you explain kind of what Comcast NBC agreed to and why that would make sense here? Sure. I just want to slip in a brief point, which is on the economics, there's actual proof as to the relative value of broadcasters versus non-broadcasters, they're more valuable. Within sports, people try to jam these things into specific words, where if you look at the evidence, you can actually prove uh, what the market thinks that they are worth. I just wanted to push back until now, at least, the thought on structural versus behavioral, because it's kind of uh, the end, or at least the end in terms of how one might fix these. So, a deal of this sort is either legal or illegal. If it's legal, presumably you prove it. If it's illegal, you presumably block it. But you can also uh, work together to settle. And a settlement uh, historically has aspects that are structural and aspects that are behavioral. And the deal uh, that Comcast had approved was only approved with a settlement. And that settlement was largely behavioral, including a lot of minutiae around how the government would monitor the their behavior. For the listeners, can you just define behavioral versus structural? Sure. Uh, structural tends to involve an actual divestiture of a business. So if in this case, they had to sell their stake in Hulu, that would be a structural uh, remedy. Uh, if, as the government's asked so far, you just had to sell Turner or had to sell DirecTV, uh, that would be a structural remedy, a divestiture, a sale of an asset to remedy the antitrust problems the government sees. And if you were going to do a behavioral remedy, it would be fixing the behavior such as offering fair and reasonable access to say, we won't foreclose. Perhaps we could do it profitably, but we simply won't foreclose on other distribution means. Fantastic. So we're running a little bit longer. I just want to go through two more questions. You know, I think one of the major things lingering over this case is the Trump factor. You know, a lot of people are saying, This is the government, you know, going after a vertical case for the first time in 40 years. Now, the DOJ does push back on that and say, hey, you know, we've just had a lot of vertical cases that have dropped in that time. Once we challenged them, they just dropped. But I think a lot of people are saying this is a new kind of frontier of antitrust law. And people can't help but wonder, you know, Time Warner owns Turner. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump said, I would block this deal if I was elected president. Even yesterday, he came out and said he had some words about this deal getting sued. So what do you think? You know, is there a Trump influence here? And if there is, what does that mean for the DOJ's case? I uh, have somebody I've been coordinating with who has done a FOIA request on all documents related to this between the White House and the DOJ. There has not been a documented case uh, between the two. Is the White House actively coordinating behind the scenes? You know, gosh, the, the AG, the Attorney General's statement on that was very parsing and careful. But certainly what he said publicly makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. If you look at one of the alternative candidates for the AAG role, Joshua Wright, he was somebody who was clearly not going to be supportive of this. And all the way up to this week, 
opposed uh, doing anything of this sort. So the uh, so if you look at order of operations, they found somebody who's willing to bring this case. Does it need to be coordinated in some nefarious way? Well, they pick somebody who's willing to do this and somebody who's at the White House. So, uh, so no, I think that given how thin the case is, the likelihood that there's a big political impact, even though it might not be something that has its own version of hot docs, I think is, uh, is very clear. And look, I, I think just from Trump being on the campaign trail and saying, hey, I would block this deal. I think that in and of itself, even if he never says another word, that in and of itself does have some influence, right? So if that is found to have impacted the DOJ's review of this case, how does a judge look on that negatively when AT&T is kind of trying to defend this case? Well, if I were AT&T, and interestingly enough, Dan Petrocelli was somebody who's worked with Trump in the mm-hmm. past, represented uh, Trump in uh, the uh, issues he had with Trump U. And that's the lawyer uh, he'll be representing He'll be AT&T. representing AT&T. Yep. So he's kind of aware of this connection. I mean, I think that the extent that you have a very strong case on the merits, especially with the burden of proof on the DOJ, the DOJ has to prove what they're asserting. And AT&T doesn't have to prove their innocence here. Um, I, I think that you'll be careful about how you bring that in. But the judge, a judge is not like a jury. He's not uh, sequestered throughout all this. He knows who's president. He's somebody who's quite a libertarian, a Republican. The journal this week met with with the senior people on this case for the AT&T side. And it was interesting to hear when the senior editors were told face-to-face who the judge was. They actually mentioned it there. They said... Oh, Dick Leon. They were like they, they were people who, from the kind of that side of high level of skepticism on antitrust issues, they were very uh, familiar with him. Also, I, I would just throw out not only on the Trump issue, but this is a First Amendment guy who is he's very smart. He is not cowed at all by regulators, and he's pushed back on First Amendment issues. And this has a huge First Amendment ramification if you can have a government that dictates whether uh, Jeff Zucker is the head of CNN and whether CNN's part of Time Warner. Great. So we're running long here. Let's just go through the last question. So Time Warner stock today closed at about $90 per share. Mm-hmm. If this deal goes through, Time Warner shareholders will get a, a combo of AT&T stock and cash that's worth about $103, $104 per share. If the deal is blocked, there's a bunch of different ways to look at it. But you, you know, our fundamental analysis says Time Warner stock will kind of go down to $80 plus or minus 2 or $3 per share. We can do the math and come up with right now the market is pricing in about a 40% chance of this deal going through in some form, whether that's a settlement or getting approved in court. Mm -hmm. If I turn it over to you, kind of what do you think the odds are of this deal going through right now? The odds of this deal going through are at least 80%. And that is really my trying to spread odds between this case being a very good sense from the complaint, in which case it's over 90% that this judge would side with AT&T, and spreading that it could be as much as, say, 40% that there is much better information than we've seen. So it's kind of, let's call it 80%, but I see the 80%. The 20% is what's very cloudy and what really relies on it being anywhere near that high. I mean, the judge could throw this case out even before a preliminary injunction issue comes up, uh, unless they have something more to say. I think the thing we've heard the most from all of our talks and all of our work is, look, this case as we've seen it is something that it is too weak. There's AT&T would win this case easily. The question is, did the DOJ hold back some trump cards where they can 
really narrowly defined some markets or they've got some great economic data that says AT&T would be able to exert massive pricing power or something along those lines mm-hmm. is really the question. And then the other side is, you know, is there, it seems increasingly unlikely there's room for a settlement, but maybe there's a settlement on the lat at the doorsteps or something. So yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, I think all of that makes sense. I, I would stick with the 80% number as well, unless you want to, we're way over time. So unless you want to say one last thing, let's wrap it up here. I don't want to say one last Great. thing. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. Again, our disclosures is we are a longtime Warner and we are short some AT&T. I hope all of you guys have a great Thanksgiving and we will talk to you next week.